This episode is sponsored by the Financial Due Diligence Framework Course. If you're doing any type of financial analysis and participate in M&A, strategy, or turnaround projects, you absolutely need to check out this course. By completing this comprehensive video course, you'll be strongly armed to analyze the P&L of any company and to be able to provide actionable, insightful reports. This course teaches you how to properly understand the methodology of how to conduct thorough financial analysis and what is important in financial due diligence. If you're looking for a career in transaction services in one of the big four, in a transaction services boutique, or to be a better private equity professional or M&A associate, you'll get a solid foundation to land your next job. And as a special offer, if you use the code SASDistrict, you'll get $100 off the entire course made specifically for our listeners. So if you're interested, go check out horizoncapital.com slash learn due diligence. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how to make smarter data-driven marketing analytic decisions for your SaaS company. Today, we have our guest, Iris Shore, joining us. Iris is a serial entrepreneur currently running her third startup, Orabi.io, which is an all-in-one marketing analytics tool that empowers businesses of all sizes to make smarter and data-driven decisions. Iris is passionate about simple and powerful products, data-driven marketing, and leveling up creativity in the marketing process. So welcome, Iris. Super excited to have you on the SaaS District Show today. Thanks, Akil. Great to be here. Uh, so I, I want to get into the, the heart of today's episode, which is all about data-driven marketing, right? That's something that I think as a SaaS founder, you have to be familiar with. You have to be using this in, in, your, in your process, in your system, in your marketing uh, you know, you know, funnel. Uh, in your words, how would you describe data-driven marketing and what are the elements that really make it different and maybe more useful than and maybe traditional marketing, which people are used to, to working with? Yeah. So first of all, I'll say that they think that like all marketers, they really want to be data-driven. So I think that like all of us really want to understand the impact of uh, um, of each activity that we do. We, we write a new blog post, we change the messaging on the website. Uh, we were less or more active on social. Uh, and the big difference is that they think that during the last couple of years, um, most of the transactions happen online. So I'm not speaking only about e-commerce, for example, but also about like uh, tax companies and finance and so on, that until like a few years ago, the website was more about company. And now we can really learn from what users do. So I think that the difference is that now it's possible and today there is a huge challenge for like different reasons to really connect all the dots and to really understand if you, for example, like you write more content and you can understand if people read it or more, but you need to understand if it's converting and how does it convert and how does it work with the, uh, with different channels. So and I think like one of the main challenges of all companies today is to really understand uh, and attribute uh, each channel, each marketing effort, and to understand the, where to allocate the budget. Mm. So at the end of the day, I mean, you're looking at all this data, helps you, I guess, sort and understand your data better. And then from there, you're able to, okay, fully understand, okay, what's really driving my business? What's really driving my growth? And then, okay, where should I be 
doubling down my efforts, my energy, my investment, and you know, uh, project my marketing budget for maybe the following year, right? Exactly. So yeah. just to know what should be your next steps and where to invest your next dollar. And in terms of, you know, when you talk, people are using a lot of tools like, you know, marketing automation in terms of helping them you know, streamline their process, make things simpler, easier, you know, cheaper and faster. Uh, how would you differentiate that in, you know, in the entire process and, and where, is it, where does it become useful when it comes to you know, making that, those data-driven uh, decisions? So there's actually a lot of synergy between these tools because you're using marketing automation to get to more audiences and more emails, target people better. Um, and usually the measuring over there is pretty one-dimensional and you need to understand how it's working with uh, other channels and other types of uh, attribution and so on. So um, the way I see it in most companies use it is that they have uh, marketing automation and they need very good marketing analytics to complete it. Mm. So it seems like more complementary, right? Than and then kind of competing. You need both together. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And what about you know SaaS founders who maybe don't spend a lot of time on marketing, right? They rely on whether it's word of mouth, uh, organic growth, or just really kind of more product led growth, um, such as you know companies we've talked to in the past like Balsamic. Um, they, they barely invest any any marketing towards their solution. It's just been kind of focused on the product, um, but they've had success. But you know many companies out there, you know, obviously will need a good marketing strategy. So. Uh, you know, for, for SaaS founders listening in, why would you say your businesses, especially SaaS founders, really need you know, deeper analytics in order to scale? Okay, so I think like let's, let's differentiate like two different processes that you want to understand. The first one is about getting customers to your website. So that's one thing. And there is paid acquisition. It's more like Facebook and Google Ads and so on. But let's say, for example, that you're investing a lot uh, um, in building your community, being active on social, writing content, and so on. And that's something that you also need to really understand well and to really understand what's converting. So sometimes you can see like lots of, of traction coming from a certain community and lots of buzz around your product, but you learn that you'll hardly get like good convergence coming from there. So maybe mm. you should invest less. The other, uh, the other part is more about the website experience. Um, and that's something dramatic that they think that most companies don't invest enough. In. So in many cases, you invest a lot either with paid acquisition or with other marketing resources to, to get your brand out there, to get people to speak about it, then they come to the website. And, and you might lose like 90, 95% of the people because they don't really understand what you're doing or the sign-up process was too long and so on. So... The first thing is about understanding the channels, and the second thing is about understanding the flow within the website, within the product, to understand where you're losing customers and how to how to improve it. Mm. So if, if I'm like if, if I'm like most SaaS founders, I'm probably using a free tool such as you know Google Analytics, and I'm using you know what what my attribution is based off there, or you know Facebook Ads Manager, and I can see the breakdown of you know where my my source of uh, leads are coming from or, or sales. You know, what's the advantage of, say, you know, paying for or buying a more advanced analytics tool and, and where does it stand out? Mm -hmm. So there are different types of advanced analytics tools. So there are some tools um, that are going to be more around like deeper insights and so on. The approach that we took with Ruby is pretty different. So when mm -hmm. I started Ruby, um, I 
spoke with lots of companies. They analyzed all the main barriers. They really tried to understand how come everybody wants to be data-driven. And it's still such a hard uh, task to, to understand the very basic questions. And we decided to focus on a different angle, and that's the data collection. So what happens today in most cases is that uh, you know how many people arrive from each channel, and right. you might know how many people like signed up or uh, purchased your product. And, and that's about it, because usually in order to send this data to Google Analytics and all the other marketing automation and other tools, you need lots of developers' resources as you need to map everything, and it takes lots of time, and most companies don't do it. Right. So what we do differently to Ribby is to automate the data collection process and to send it to Ribby and to all other tools. So you can also send it to the marketing automation tools. So instead of viewing just like two or three main events, you can really understand the entire flow. And then it's much easier to collect more data and to get more insights and to really understand what people are doing on your website. Okay, so from my understanding, it's more of you know understanding the data, gathering data, and then being able to you know report it and break it out and make. So, so how's it different than some tools like you know Segment, uh, or I think there's there's a couple of others like that where they're they're very focused on data. Um, and you know, if we're talking about tools, what would be you know some minimum tools that you recommend or suggest that maybe help you know uh, marketers have a better understanding of the landscape and help them make better decisions mm-hmm. around the entire you know, attribution funnel? Yeah, definitely. So. Um, I think that in a way, the way we see Oribi is some kind of a version of like segment, but more mm-hmm. for people that are not technical or mm-hmm. more of something that like the marketing team can operate themselves. Um, so segment is an amazing tool and I think that uh, and it really helps companies, but still very technical. You need to use code. And yes. Oribi is completely codeless, the marketing uh, team can use it themselves, they can create different events, they can send them over to, to other tools or use it within Oribi. So you also have all the analysis and the dashboards and so on within Oribi. You don't need to actually send it to a different place. Um, remind me your second question again. Um, yeah, so what, um, what are some maybe other tools that you would suggest for people to, to look at, you know, to kind of have a better picture, picture of the entire landscape and making better decisions? For the entire funnel. So, you know, there's one that's like gathering data, one is then maybe understanding it, and then maybe there's some other stuff you recommend to look at the entire funnel uh, as a marketer. Yeah. So, I think probably like, so one aspect is definitely marketing analytics. So, you can probably reach everything with Google Analytics. I think that uh, um, it, it is a very sophisticated tool, but you need to know what you're doing and you need to invest a lot. Um, so the main reason that we built an alternative to Google Analytics is because most companies don't know how to use it well enough or don't have enough resources. So and on the analytics side, it's either Google Analytics or Ribby or other great tools. And I would also recommend to have um, um, some uh, tool for uh, session recording, such as uh, Full Story or uh, Hotjar. Um, and so on, I think it offers a different perspective. So one perspective is more about aggregated data, understanding your funnel and so on. And another perspective is to, to really like see, like peek behind the shoulder of your users and to really understand where they're trying to click. Uh, it, it's always hard to watch. I always feel like every time I watch this like video recording, it's feel like I'm watching a car accident and uh, yeah. Uh, seeing your users trying to do something that you think is so obvious and they still fail. Uh, but you can learn 
done a lot for me. So I, I see mm. it's just like different aspects of the uh, um, marketing analytics and customer experience. Yeah, I, lo- I love tools that you know where like there's heat maps and you're understanding user behavior. I think every every company used to uh, you know use that. I like VWO, Hotjar is another good one. Yeah, and uh, I, I completely agree with you. Like Google Analytics is, is good, but there's just so much data there, and it's not easy to make the best out of it and understand it. And like you said, to set it up properly, you need more kind of complex developers and, and all that kind of involved, right? So it's not for for every every everyday user to to go in and set it up properly and you know make decisions off of it, right? It's not that simple. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So in many cases, we meet people that tell us like, uh, um, okay, so I know everything about Google Analytics and I develop everything myself and I know how to code and they know how to custom yeah. everything. Why do I need a Ruby? And we tell them, okay, you don't need a Ruby. In most cases, we meet people that tell us that uh, um, I use Google Analytics. I don't really know how to do with it. I can't really get the actionable insights. I don't have access to my website. I don't know how to code. And then we know that we can help them. So yeah. I think for the majority of people, Google Analytics is uh, some kind of a monster. They're not they're mm-hmm. not sure how to deal with. Yeah, that's right. And I, I like uh, Orabi. Actually, I know you guys give us a, a complimentary access, so you know appreciate that from you guys. And you know, I think it's super simple, right? You just copy and paste the code onto your site into your, your header tag or your your uh, you know footer, and I think you know it's pretty simple from there. Um, but let, let's say you know I have a team, whether it's a small team, a smart marketing team, or a big marketing team. Who, who do you typically see as being the, the person to assign this to? Uh, and then how often should you say they should be spending on analytics from you know, setting up to re- reporting and analyzing the data? Um, well, what do you typically see there with people who are using your tool? Yeah, so I guess that the, the answer that most people probably expect is that uh, you should have an analyst within the team and they should be in mm-hmm. charge of all of it. Um, I agree. I do saying that like one of the first hires should be an analyst and it will be a great hire that will return the, as a cost and you'll be able to understand the budget better. But the real answer is that uh, each marketer should understand their their space and their effort. So I, I really think that like if you're in charge of email marketing or content marketing or paid acquisition, you should be in charge of analyzing it as well. I think that the days of having a uh, marketers, it's like the creative people that are not in charge of the results and they're just into uh, find uh, the great uh, um, the great header or this like creative ad are, are definitely over. We're not there mm-hmm. anymore. Um, and I think that once they measure everything, they can also get to questions that the analysts can't ask, uh, enter. So it's only about like understanding different buckets of content and to understand which types of uh, a subject on the email, I really convert better, not just about like the open rate and so on. So mm. I really think that like you should be in charge of uh, the creation of the of the content or each type of marketing effort, distribution and measuring. Mm. So the whole kind of funnel and, and uh, understanding the entire thing. And where, where do you typically see, you know, um, that, that marketers are maybe failing at you know a properly measuring when when they're coming and and in, in the entire marketing funnel and you see that they should be paying more attention to or tracking better or being you know uh, you know track better in, in their in their whole funnel. Yeah, so um, I'll point at uh, two main mistakes that uh, that I'm seeing and uh, 
And I can call them mistakes, but they think that I can mainly call them like optimization opportunities because these are places that you can easily uh, leverage and can easily change your results. So the first one is uh, I see many companies that don't measure the entire funnel. So for example, um, they're active on social and they're measuring how many likes they had or how many people joined their like Instagram account or they're writing content and they're measuring how many people read my new post. Um, and this is not the, the question that they should ask. The question mm. that they should ask is uh, what is their main goal? And in most cases, it's people that will subscribe and acquire their product um, and how everything relates to it. You can have this like amazing blog post and you can have like tens of thousands of readers uh, to this post, but it will hardly convert. And you can have another uh, another post that hardly no one reads, but most of them convert. So right. like one thing that they say that is very important to change the state of mind around is not about the initial part of like the funnel of how many people engage with the, uh, with my marketing materials. It's about the end results and about the, the conversion. And there are huge gaps. There are some things that look very promising and the other way around. And mm. um, the, the second part is uh, about optimizing the funnel. Mm -hmm. So I mentioned that you should measure the entire funnel. In many cases, you'll find out that you have this like great blog post and targeting the right uh, audience, but you're failing at uh, showing them the right conversion. People fail at... Uh, and understanding your form and so on. So I think there's lots of work of analyzing the funnels, mobile, desktop users coming from different channels to really understand how come, because in most cases you're bringing the more or less the right people and still only like half percent or even less are going to convert. So mm. to really understand where you lose most of them. Mm. And, and so if I'm, okay, I, I know I'm not tracking my data properly, and I'm looking for options out there, right? There's, so I'm looking at Google Analytics setup. Uh, I'm looking at Orabi. I'm looking at Segment. I'm looking at all these other tools out there. Um, but you know, I want more data. I want cleaner data. I want better data. And I need just kind of more visibility features, uh, maybe even white labeling if I'm an agency. What, what would you recommend or maybe some approach for helping you know, marketers and founder assess the different solutions out there? And you know, what is, is going to work for me, especially for, say, specifically for, for a SaaS founder? Yeah. Um, so just one cl clarification. Segment mm. is a tool for sending data to other tools. It's not an analytics tool. So it's a great tool if you want to enrich mm. every other tool. Mm. Um, I would say that uh, it really depends on your dev resources. So if you know that uh, you have lots of dev resources, you have time for it, you have lots of channels, Maybe you should go for the high-end solutions like uh, Adobe Marketing Clouds or Datorama. And in most cases, I would go with Oribi uh, um, or uh, or Google Analytics. You can also get to interesting results within HubSpot and so on if you customize it enough. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do think it's very important to really like for each marketing effort and each marketing channel. And to ask yourself, how do I measure it? And uh, what are the right metrics uh, um, for this channel? Mm, got it. Got it. Um, 
And kind of last question, kind of talking about this is about, you know, we talked about conversion rate optimization and understanding, you know, what's working, what doesn't work. And we talk about tools like Hotjar, VWO, understanding user behavior to, to kind of make different uh, tests. Uh, in your blog, I, I saw, which is pretty good, you, you talk about uh, another type of testing model, which is called AZ testing, right? And most people talk about, you say, talk about AZ testing and forgetting about AB, which is what most people are doing, right? Doing AB testing, you know, pick one variable, test against it, and then keep moving on forward. Um, how, how yeah. do you kind of, can you explain that, you know, how that applies for, for marketers? Yeah, definitely. So I think one of the challenges of uh, um, small, but also medium and sometimes even large startups is that uh, most of the things that we learn um, uh, are disciplines coming from large companies. So typical A-B testing is let's change uh, this button from red to orange and see and see the results, or let's change the caption on this on this button from like a try it now to uh, create your free account and see how it works. Mm -hmm. But in most cases, you need tons and tons of traffic in order to see to see a difference. Because let's say, for example, that you have uh, a, you have a sign up button, and and you have uh, let's say that you have even like. A few hundred visitors to your website every day. That's amazing. And you have like 40 people clicking on this uh, button and 44 people clicking on this button. And usually it's not enough. And you also want to measure the entire funnel because sometimes you A-B test something and you have, okay, try for free. And everybody yeah. click on it, but then you find out that they don't end up paying. Mm. Um, and the concept of A-Z testing is instead of making like small tweaks, that are easier to make, but very, very hard to measure because usually you don't have enough data, um, is to go with the extreme. So if A-B test is pretty close, so let's say instead of uh, trying like two buttons and one is uh, uh, red and one is uh, orange, is to try like one version with a huge button with the free and you're changing the messaging, everything is around free and about the pricing. And another uh, website that doesn't speak about the pricing at all and just highlights the product. And then you're able to see more difference and you have enough numbers to measure. And then you can start optimizing it. Okay, so you see that the version that is uh, with the free works much better. So maybe you're going to start uh, another test. So it's, it's more about like starting with something very, very, something that is radically different mm. and then start closing the gaps until you get to something that is more around A-B testing. Interesting. I mean, what I've typically seen, yeah, when, when doing VWO tests, it's more, you know, very iterative, right? You make one small change, you change your headline, you change one button, you change the, that call to action, you change one thing, and then you slowly iterate. But you're saying, you go completely yeah. different, like change the call to action completely, change the pricing completely, change your copy completely, change the entire design, and then slowly kind of, you know, uh, bridge the gap and iteratively come back to converge to, to a single point of what's working, right? Yeah. yeah, I think you need like hundreds mm. or thousands of conversions in order to measure each, each uh, test. And usually you mm. don't want to run too many tests in parallel. And if mm. you run very different tests, it's easier to see the gaps between the results. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Cool. This, is, this has been good, Iris. Uh, I, I want to kind of shift gears, uh, moving kind of towards more of the, the personal side, you know, your background, kind of how you got to where you are today in your story. Uh, can you share your past uh, you know, background, your past ventures, including, you know, being a two-time previous founders up until, you know, deciding to found Orbi.io. Yeah, definitely. And um, so I don't have a typical story of an entrepreneur. 
Um, I actually have pretty little technical background before I started this word, so I, I learned a bit and I, I know this word a bit, but then I decided that I want to pursue my childhood dream and to study architecture and that I don't want to do something creative. And when I was just about to graduate architecture school, I decided that uh, this word is too, too slow for me. And I wasn't sure what to do with my life. And uh, I had a chance to, to co-found uh, a startup company. And uh, so my first company was actually around the world I came from and about uh, architecture engineering. And we developed this like um, this really unique technology of taking 2D and 3D modeling to the web and the mobile um, on the early days of, uh, of mobile apps. Um, and it went very well. We were acquired by, uh, by Autodesk um, and uh, the product became very popular. Um, my second company was very different and I decided to leave the world of architecture and engineering mainly because it's really hard to build large companies over there. And so my, my second company was for developers and DevOps and around the world of uh, production and monitoring and debugging. And I've been there for the first uh, four years. The company is still running, still doing well. Um, and then uh, a few years ago, I decided to, to start Ruby. And I was always very passionate about marketing. So it was very clear to me that I want to do something around this space. And uh, I saw like a very interesting opportunity around all the world of uh, data collection and uh, analyzing data. I say that still today, a few years later, it's still uh, a huge challenge for most companies and there's uh, much to do over there. So just, just one point you mentioned. So you said you decided to leave, uh, you know, focusing on a market which you're, you're you know, competent in, you understood, which is, you know, in the architect field. Uh, you had success in it. But you decided to switch gears and move to something completely different. Is that because you said you can't build it into a big company? Is that because of the size of the market, the total addressable market? Or what was the reason you, you kind of made that switch? Yeah, so it's mainly the size of uh, it's the size of the market and the audience, even though you can say like it's everything around building real buildings, there is like tons of money over there, but there there's hardly any money with the um, with the software for uh, mm. for it, so um, so that was the main reason. And there's also like only one large player, which is Autodesk. So it's really hard to um, to build large companies. I think it's, it's possible, but it's uh, it's more challenging. Yeah, yeah. I guess when you're you're trying to build something for a smaller smaller ocean or pool or you know amount of people out there, uh, it's it's you've got to you know have a lot of money behind it and you know put a lot of you know. Uh, budget around product and, and developing something to to compete with the big guys. So, yeah, makes sense. So I guess yeah. that's a lesson for people out there. If you're going to tackle a market, go after something that's big enough that you have a chance, right? Um, you know, I think yeah, marketing is a great I, I always, Yeah, I, I have to say that I always tell uh, like uh, entrepreneurs to just start and they, they ask for my advice that they think it's better to go after a good market and then after a market that might be more interesting because... Like from my experience, I think that like my passion is when I build a company, and even if we're doing something pretty boring, it becomes super exciting because of uh, 
the challenge of building a company and a team and getting into market. So I can see how you're doing like production monitoring or an application for music and you can still be as passionate for both of them. So it might be easier to pick a better market. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think and it's, a, it's a pretty big factor and it adds to your, to your overall luck and your trajectory just by picking the right market that you're on. Um, and yeah. sp- speaking of Orbi, where are you guys in terms of t- size today? And have you guys raised any, any outside capital or are you guys completely bootstrapped? No, definitely. We raised, uh, so we raised uh, 27 million uh, to date. And the main investor is uh, Sequoia Capital. And we're uh, 55 people today and, and uh, a few thousand uh, customers. So uh, you raised 50, sorry, 27 million. Uh, is that, is that yeah. over how many, how many rounds was that? What, what, what round do you guys have? Um, three rounds. So three? right now it was uh, the last round was the B round. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. So, you know, you've, you've been part of a founding team, CEO and, and kind of founder for, for several companies now. It must be, you know, obviously quite demanding for, for your time. How do you measure your own leadership success, you know, within your own team today? Um, that's a good question. So I have to say that something that uh, like really shifted for me is that uh, I used to do like one thing that I'm a big believer that uh, a founder should know everything. They shouldn't be like the best at everything, but I think like it was very important for me to and to be able to understand well the technology and the sales flow and so on. But they found myself over the years giving more independence to my team. And so it's really important for me to understand everything on the one hand, but to know that everything can run without me at least for like a while. Yeah. So I think the way I work today is mostly to focus on where I needed the most. And so to actually like spot, like right now we have an issue with the marketing budget, with the churn, with hiring, so on, and to be pretty much laser focused on on this part and to have all the other parts uh, um, rolling on without without my involvement. So so where would you say you spend most of your time these days? Where where, where do you, you know, where's your attention going and getting most of your effort? So right now we're uh, building or really more toward partnerships and larger deals. So like one, one aspect that we spoke about is integrate is uh, as analytics, but another important part is how to export the data that we collect to Ribi uh, to other tools, to marketing automations tools, to BI tools and so on. And that's a new strategy, and that's something that we need to to figure out how we're building the marketing around, and who are we partnering with first. So most of my time right now is around uh, this strategy. Got it. Um, looking back now, so you've had you know two successful companies back, one that you've exited, now onto your third. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of wisdom, a lot of advice, a lot of uh, good uh, you know experience. What's one piece of advice you wish you had known? And maybe you would tell your 25-year-old self today. Um, I think it's probably like the main thing is uh, is focus. Um, mm. I usually have like tons of energy. And yeah. uh, I remember that like when I, when I was younger, 
every week I had like dozens of different ideas and most <laughs> of them were interesting and good. Um, but they say that it's, it's not healthy for a company. Seeing that uh, even if the entrepreneur can juggle a lot of balls at the same time, um, most employees that uh, either can't or it's not right for them. So I think it's, it's really important to understand what you're doing, not to open too many fronts at once. Um, something that I try to remind myself all the time, every time that I have a, a great idea that I need to to pass is that most or all successful companies um, did like one thing really well before mm. they grew. So, well, like search for Google, uh, basic uh, social network for Facebook, uh, and, and so on. They didn't succeed because they had like amazing reports or uh, uh, mm -hmm. yet another feature or so on. So it's more about doing one thing right. And uh, like one thing that we're really trying to do at Ruby is to keep uh, improving and polishing the existing features rather than running to develop more features. And, mm. and it's a huge challenge because we, we have tons of, request that you said that like, oh this is cool and so many people can use it and it's going to take us only two weeks to to develop but then you're stuck with dozens of features that you need to maintain and you need to explain people about so think it's about like the main advice is about focus and try to narrow things down yeah, that's a very good advice right a lot of people say it's easier you know they get so focused on features right? it's like adding more and more and more and they think that's going to add more value to your to your customer just because they're asking for it but generally it's like you know the one or two things they do really really well is what's going to keep them and then you can slowly you know it's very it's very hard you have to have that discipline to be able to say no before because it's exciting right to add more to be you know fresh and you know, it's, new, it's, everybody wants yeah, more, more it's, and exciting stuff. <laughs> it's so tempting and there are so uh so many different reasons to like people say like okay but i need to collaborate with someone else on it i need to export it to x and so there's always a reason but i think that like the, the main reason that uh that company grow is because they're doing something uh amazing uh, amazingly well not about yeah. having like lots of mediocre uh, features and speaking about kind of attribution and, and you know marketing channels could you share a little you know what's worked best for you guys to, to date in terms of marketing uh and really driven the growth for you guys yeah um so while my roots in marketing were more around like content marketing and uh, with ruby we changed uh, the strategy more toward paid acquisition um mainly facebook and youtube um it, it's hard and i think like today's cost are really increasing from one year to the other yeah. But this is more or less the, the only channel that you can really control. So with other channels, it's very hard to say, okay, so I just raised like another round and I want to double the number of leads I have in like two months. And uh, it's usually impossible if you have more of like a content strategy, social strategy and so on. Right. So I, I do think it's very important to develop uh, brand awareness and communities are very important. Um, but I had to pick like one, if we spoke before about focus, so I had to pick like one thing that we're going to do really well. Mm -hmm. And I decided to focus on acquisition mainly because it's, uh, it's the easiest channel to scale. Makes sense. So YouTube ads, you're actually seeing pretty good success on, uh, compared to Facebook yeah. or, or, or Google ads. Interesting. Yeah. 
um, uh. YouTube and Facebook. I would also mention that it's interesting that uh, um, it works very well for B2B, even to get to, to large B2B organizations. So um, I think it's like one interesting trend that uh, um, is very obvious, but still not enough companies adopt is to use B2C traditional channels for uh, for B2B because people are out there and they're watching YouTube, they're active on social and you can reach every like uh, SVP on every large company with this method right. as well. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. But what would you say are some of the maybe biggest challenges you guys are currently facing in order to continue to grow? Uh, meaning like what's keeping you up at night these days and, and you know, uh, stressing you out? <laughs> yeah. So I think one challenge is what I just mentioned about focus. So there are so many different opportunities. As I mentioned, there's so much to do around the world of analytics. Um, so to really understand how to pick them, um, it's really hard to measure it. So unlike marketing that usually you can try something else and then two weeks later understand how it's, uh, how it's going with product decisions, uh, it takes takes like uh, six months, 12 months to, to see the impact. Um, so that's one thing. I think that another issue is um, um, all of the iOS 14 changes, the world of like cookies and uh, attribution. Um, it actually also helps us because we're able to collect more data um, and more data within each session. But there are lots of questions about like where the world is heading. Do people are still going to measure exactly the right, the, the accurate numbers, or it's going to be more on trends? And another issue is uh, around the acquisition. So I think like every year we see the acquisition costs rising, but we also seeing like more competition on every other marketing channel. So to try to to overcome these challenges and to think about like the next creative uh, angle and the next creative idea to to overcome the challenges over there. Of course, yeah. yeah. And I guess that's why you guys are, I know obviously working with us, yeah, you know, sponsored ads is another channel, right? I think that's also overlooked that people don't yeah. look at, but it's very targeted, high, highly, you know, engaged. I, I like that, that channel as well. Um, you know, so you've had, you know, one, one exit, you know, founder, you know, or being involved, you know, three startups now, uh, raised $27, $27 million. What, what does success mean to you today? How do you measure your own success? Whether that's, you know, personally, business, financially, life, um, there's no right answer. How, how do you measure it today? Yeah. Um, so I always find it intriguing that uh, many entrepreneurs think that like the amount of money they raised is a, uh, is a way to measure your success. So, uh, it's also interesting because this is how the press is like. So company number, company X just raised $150 million. And uh, <laughs> um, I always think like how it would look on other words of like, let's say real estate, like this company managed to take a loan of like $200 million. <laughs> to, so um, I don't see how much money I raised this, um, as a key to success. I think that's something that... Um, and was always very close to my heart. And that's also the reason that I love marketing is how uh, people are impacted with what we do. So I measure my success about how people are using my product. 
Mm. Um, it's also hard because there's always people that uh, don't understand the products. There are also always like other alternatives, but they think that uh, um, the places that uh, I'm most excited about is, uh, is seeing people that really manage to get value from what we do. They manage to uh, cut marketing costs. And so it's really about value. I think that today companies uh, speak a lot about how much money they raise, about the SaaS metrics and so on. I think it's harder to, you can evaluate it, you can measure it, it's harder, but it's mm. about the value you give to to customers. And if we're speaking about people, it's also about the employees. So something that's very important for me is the retention rate of employees, uh, building a good company, and, and building a place that people love coming to and love working at. Nice, nice. I love it. So... This has been a really good interview, Iris. I love you. You know, appreciate you sharing everything you, you've shared with our audience today. Uh, if you know founders or marketers listening in, they want to get in touch with you, learn more about you, or, or you know, maybe trying out or be uh, I, that IO for their their own uh, SaaS product. How could how what's the best way to get in touch? So probably Facebook or LinkedIn. It's uh, Iris Shore S H O O R, or use Revy or read my blog. Okay. Awesome. We'll add the, all those links in our, in our show notes for people to check out and, and say hi to Iris. So thank you so much again for being on SaaS to Stick show today. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SaaS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. And myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.